If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. While you're turning there, it is great to be here at Great Hills Baptist Church. Um, my wife and I are celebrating our 12-year anniversary today. And so, uh, amen. God is good. Uh, I, I didn't get married till I was, well, I'll end up telling, my own, telling off of myself how old I am now. But um, I didn't get married till I was 33. And I've been traveling, preaching since I was uh, 19 on the road and stuff. And so it's hard to meet people. And it wasn't I was single that long because I wanted to be. I wanted to be married. But, you know, God just kept making me wait and wait. And so the best, he saved the best for last. And so God blessed me way more than I deserve after praying and fasting for years. So those of you that are single out there, there's hope. There is hope. Now, those of you that are teenagers, <clears throat> not even going to pray for you. <clears throat> Don't come up to me asking me, hey, Roddy, would you pray for me for, you know, my husband? What? No, I'm not even going to pray for you for a date or anything like that. Matter of fact, even if you're in your 20s, I have no sympathy for you. When you hit your 30s, I'll start praying for you. And, um, but God blessed me with my wife, and I've got to get a little bit of this right here. Um, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary uh, two years ago, and I wanted to do it really nice. You know, it was 10 years. Uh, I really appreciated being married and having a wife, so I thought I was going to do it really nice. So I took her out to a really nice restaurant. When we got through at the restaurant, we were walking down all these shops and stuff, and there was a little snow in the air, and it was all, you know, romantic and stuff. So we passed this uh, candy place. <clears throat> Had all kinds of chocolate. Hang on just a second. Hey, Shane, mute me just for a second so I can cough really good. <clears throat> okay. Thank Did you still hear it? <laughs> Sorry about that. Mm. Okay, I'm good now. So we stopped at this candy shop because my wife loves candy, especially chocolate. And so I thought, I'm going to score some points. So we walk in there. I said, honey, anything you want in the place, I'm buying. We're, we're splurging. It's our 10-year anniversary. You know, any, any candy you want. So, okay. So she goes over and she's getting off, you know, looking for candy. I see caramel apples in the back. This guy's making, I'm talking about the really fresh green granny apple, you know, that's sour. And then they put the caramel on top. And then they could even put it on steroids if you want to. They, ha they would dip it like in Heath chocolate and, you know, the, all kinds of snickerdeal and nuts and if you wanted it. And I'm like, no, I just want a plain caramel apple. He said, are you going to eat it now? I said, yes. He said, okay, I'll slice it for you then. So he sliced it for me and one of you know, so it goes into like eight pieces. So I go to the counter. While I'm at the counter, they have leftover caramel apple scraps that they have wrapped up. I'm like, hey, give me about five more of those. They have a, a, a deal of truffles, case of truffles right there. I said, yeah, give me two of those and give me another one of those. We're splurging. It's our 10-year anniversary. So I get my bag. My wife comes around. She, she, she didn't have anything. I'm like, honey, there candy all over this place. Aren't you going to get something? She goes, yeah, I think I'm going to get that chocolate ball. This ball was a soft ball. All right. It was this big. It was, and it was a Reese's cup on steroids. It, it, it was totally filled with peanut butter and had a coat of chocolate. I'm not talking about like a thin coat. I'm talking about like a quarter inch coat of chocolate all around it. And it was as big as a baseball. It, it was. And she said, I'll have one of those. I said, okay. So I said, give me that softball there. So he gets the ball, and I said, honey, they got some awesome truffles. You want some of these truffles? No, no, that's all I want. I said, honey, they got caramel apples back here. You want a caramel apple with some chocolate on it and stuff? She goes, no, that's all I want. I said, what about some leftover scrap caramel stuff? You want some? No, that's all I want, just the softball thing. Of course, she wasn't calling it softball. And um, I said, okay, ring us up. So he rings us up. We go outside. There's this uh, little creek out there and this little, you know, fire pit and stuff. So we sit down in the fire pit. I get my caramel apple out. She gets her big chocolate softball thing out. She takes one bite of her softball, and she's done. I'm like, honey, are, are, aren't you going to eat any more? She goes, 
no, it's rich. That's all I can handle right now. I said, okay. I throw down one of my caramel apples, and man, it's good. I mean, a big old slice of it. It was awesome. She said, is that caramel apple good? I said, yes, it is. She said, can I have a piece? Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, we are celebrating our 10-year anniversary. But in the second thing, is thinking, I'm thinking, this is my apple. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, if you wanted your own apple, you should have got you. I would have bought one. You know, that, that's what I'm thinking. And guys, you know what I'm talking about. You feel my pain, right? When you go through the drive-thru, and, you know, you, she just wants a grilled chicken sandwich, but she don't want the pack. She don't want the value fries or anything like that. But she's going to eat your fries, so now this is all coming. I'm thinking, man, I should have bought another apple. And so I'm like, okay, here, here you go, babe. So she eats it. Oh, this is good. I said, yeah, I know. I, and so I'm thinking that would be it, right? Can I have another one? Oh, yes, baby. Here. Here is my second of my eight pieces of my caramel apple. That's what, now, here's the deal. I shouldn't have been like that. I mean, this was our 10-year anniversary, and I have learned from that, by the way. And, and I should have been like, hey, honey, you, you want my apple? Here, you can have my whole apple, and, and matter of fact, I'll go get another one if you want that. That's the way I should have been. I should have been grateful that I even had a wife to share a caramel apple with. Amen? <laughs> Ladies are going, yeah, that's right. <clears throat> that's the way I should have been. You know, the Bible talks about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, the, the Bible says he wants us to be a generous giver, not a grudgingly giver, but a generous giver. And so this morning, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. The pastor, he shared with you that I'm an evangelist. So 99% of the time, I am preaching a gospel message. That's what I preach. Matter of fact, I have never preached a giving message until a year and a half ago. And I've only preached it just a few times. But when the pastor asked me to preach, I was going to go direction of preaching a salvation message. And for some reason, a couple of weeks ago, God just laid on my heart to preach this message. And, and, and so he didn't ask me to come preach this message. He's never even heard this message. And I've been with him on, in all of his churches, wherever, wherever he's been. It's just God laid this specifically on my heart for this morning. And I don't know why but I'm going to preach it. You say, why do we need to talk about preaching on money this morning? Because here's the deal. We need to have God's perspective on money. That it's God's money. It's not ours. We don't own it. We don't deserve it. We're just being stewards of what God has given us and not the world's perspective. See, the world's perspective is, it's mine, I deserve it. We need to have God's perspective. And, and here's the other deal, too, about this, just so you know. Because I know some of you are already starting to get your feathers ruffled up that's about giving this morning. Here's the deal. <clears throat> Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. So if we don't preach on money, then we're really not being as balanced as Jesus was on it. We need to be more of it. Uh, preaching on. And listen, just because there's some heretics out there that preach it wrong doesn't mean that we need to shy away from it and be scared of it. So I'm going to preach on this morning on God's perspective on what money is what it's all about, and we're going to kick off 2014 on the right foot this year. Amen? All right. If you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, okay? Now, if you would, would you all please stand in honor reading of God's Word? 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, verse 1. I'm going to read verse 1, and then we're going to read verse 5. This is what the Bible says. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. Now, the service to the saints, what he was talking about, was the church in Jerusalem. Okay, now he's addressing the church at Corinth about the church in Jerusalem. Verse 5. He says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. God loves a cheerful giver, amen? That's what we need to be. Let's pray. <clears throat> 
Father, I ask you right now that you honor and bless your word today, that you speak to our hearts, and that we'll be receptive to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so let's just kick it off. What is generous giving? What is generous giving? Well, first of all, generous giving is over and above your tithe. If you look in verse 1 and verse 5, when Paul was addressing the church at Corinth, he was talking to the church at Corinth about the church in Jerusalem. Now, here's what was going on. The church at Jerusalem, they were suffering hard financially. They were hit hard economically. And so they didn't have the surplus and the money that the church at Corinth did. Church of Corinth, they were thriving. Why? They were, number one, Corinth was a seaport. It was the capital. And so it had thrive, thriving business, and it was just booming and going. It'd kind of be like the oil business back in you know, the day when it was all booming. That's the way Corinth was. It was thriving, booming. They had money. And so because of that, they saw the church at Jerusalem was hurting. So they were going to give a gift to the church at Jerusalem to help them out because they were suffering. So what we're talking about, about it being generous giving, this was over and above their tithe. Because this money, was their tithe was not going to their home church, this was over and above going to the church at Jerusalem. So they'd already, they were giving their normal tithe to the church at Corinth. This is a gift over and above that to the church at Jerusalem. Now y'all with me on this? Okay, now to make sure that we're on the same page so, you know, we, we don't, you know, slip through the cracks here, what the tithe is all about. You say, wait, some of you say, well, I don't even know what you're talking about, tithe. Okay, just so you know what the tithe is, go with me to Malachi chapter 3. Now, that would be right before Matthew. If you go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 12, the Bible says this. God is speaking, and he says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Verse 9. You're under a curse. Your whole nation because you're robbing me. Did y'all hear that? wonder why our nation is in economic turmoil right now. I mean, it's a given that the lost world is robbing God, Right? But let me uh, shock you with something, folks. The church is robbing God. Do you know I was in a church uh, last, uh, no, in uh, November? The pastor told me, this is a good church, an evangelistic church. The pastor told me, after I preached the message, only 30% of the people in the church, that means of you sitting out there, only 30%. Gave any money. I'm not even talking about tithe. I'm talking about just throwing a dollar in the plate. Only 30% of the entire congregation gave any money in the last three months. And we wonder why we as a nation are under curse, much less the church and our own families. Okay, let's get on with it. Verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now the tithe is 10% off the top to the church, the storehouse, that's the local church, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Did you know that that's the only time that God ever said testing? He says, test me. He says, you don't believe me? You do it, see what I'll do. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. He said, well, I don't have a crop. What's he talking about crops and stuff? I don't have a... Uh, he'll prevent your air conditioner from going out in your house. He'll prevent your car from breaking down. Okay? Then he says this, verse 12, Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, what do we see from this text? We see, first of all, 10% off the top goes to the local storehouse, God's house, the church. That'd be for you, Great Hills Baptist Church. Uh, then he says this, he says testing, we see that, and we see it's biblical, and if you do it, you'll be blessed. If you don't do it, you're under a curse. 
Okay, are we clear on all of that? Okay, since we got this understanding of it, and you say, well, you, you all preachers, y'all all just alike. Now, let me just kind of let you, let your feathers get down and stuff like that. I know y'all think all of you preachers got an angle and stuff. Okay, guess what? Uh, I don't have a horse in this race today. What I'm preaching, I gain nothing from you at all. Nothing from you at all. The pastor didn't ask me to come do this so he can get, we can get bigger offerings so he can get a bonus or race. He didn't ask me to do that. I, I, I don't get a raise from this. I don't get a bonus from this. I, the offering that we take at the end of the day, that's not for me. So do you understand? I gain nothing from this at all. I am here to tell you the truth because I know it works. Because God works. He's done it in my life and he can do it in your life. I'm just here to help you. That, that's all I'm here to do today. Hey, ever since I was a kid, and my mom is here, and she can attest to this. When I gave my life to Christ when I was eight years old, ever since then, I have been tithing since I was eight. If I worked for my dad in the shop and he gave me $2 for working that day, 20 cents went to the church. That from every job I've had ever since then, Every little, from working bull ranches to working in Winn-Dixie, working at a funeral home, I, I, you name it, I have done it, okay? And so, in all construction work, anything I did, 10% off the top, straight off, went to the church. When I was in seminary, when I was 22, God laid on my heart, showed me this passage, laid on my heart because he said, tithes and offerings, so God laid on my heart to increase my tithe. So I'm in seminary. I'm broke. Don't have any money. You know how seminary is. So I increased my giving from 10% to 15%. That year alone, God doubled my income in one year. Doubled. And from then on, every single year since then, whether it's me by myself when I was single, and even since I've gotten married, every year God has increased our income and our family. Every year. What, no, I'm not talking plateau. I'm talking every year. And some years we've given more than 15%. Some years we've just given 15%. Some years we've given 17 or 20 But here's the deal. I'm telling you. God is faithful. He said, test me. I've done it. He's backed it up. He is faithful. God is faithful. You say, well, Ronnie, I don't know about that. That's, that's all Old Testament stuff. And you know, that's just Old Testament. All right. I heard an illustration by Robert Morris. You know Robert Morris? I heard an illustration of him using this. Uh, and I, I'm going to use it this morning. Uh, where's Terry? Where, where'd Terry go? He's around here somewhere. Y'all know Terry, our, our worship leader. Let's pretend this. Let's pretend Terry comes to me and says, um, hey, Ronnie, uh, my car broke down. Uh, this week, and it's going to be in the shop all week getting worked on, and I don't have anything to drive. Can, can I borrow your truck while my car is in the shop? I say, Terry, no problem. I give him the keys to my truck. So here you go, Terry, Terry, you can borrow it. So Terry uses my truck all week long. At the end of the week, his car gets fixed, gets his car back, and he comes to me, and he says, hey, Ronnie, my wife and I, we have been praying. I mean, we've been praying hard. And we really feel led to give you the keys to this truck. Well, the, the keys to my truck? Yes, we feel led to give you, God has told us to give you the keys to this truck. Now, now let me ask you a question. Is he giving me that truck? Folks, wake up. Is he give? Thank you, my man. You're the only one paying attention in this whole place. Is he giving me the keys to that truck? No. Hey, listen, if my little man right over here can do, say, understand this, surely you as adults can grab this. No, he is not giving me the keys to my truck. That's my truck. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If Terry came back, now this would be a different story. If Terry came to me and said, hey, man, I appreciate you letting me use your truck all week long. Um, I got it filled up with fuel. Uh, got a new paint job on it, new tires. 
uh, had it washed, waxed, everything. Uh, here, here you go. Now he's doing something. See, and, and that's the way we treat God a lot of times. Well, God, we've prayed about it. We really feel led to give you this 10%. Are you giving God 10%? No, that's God's. That is God's. Now, you want to start doing something? You give over and above. Now you're doing something. And so when we look at tithing and that perspective, see, tithing is not the end of giving. Tithing is the beginning. It is the launching pad of giving. And so I want to encourage you to, you need to pray about this, not just giving 10%, but giving over and above. And the Bible says that when you do tithes and offerings, he'll open up the floodgates of heaven and you won't be able to have room for enough for it all. I'm, I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says. You say, yeah, but that's Old Testament. That's just Old Testament. We're not in Old Testament anymore. We're in the New Testament. Uh, you want some New Testament then? Okay, I'll give you some New Testament. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, the chapter right before this, he said in verse 7, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also, you ready for this? Excel in this grace of giving. Excel in the grace of giving. Folks, we need to be generous givers. We don't need to be stingy. We don't, hey, you want me to tell you something? Waiters and waitresses hate to see the church crowd come on Sunday. Do you realize that? I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. For those of y'all that don't know lost people, don't know lost waiters and waitresses, they don't want you to come on Sundays because you're the worst tippers. No, you need to excel in the grace of giving. Waiters and waitresses need to see, oh, Great Hills Baptist Church members coming over here. I want your table. You come and sit at my table. That's the way they should be, because that's the way we should be. Excel in the grace of giving. First of all, it's over and above. Secondly, generous giving, it's a heart thing. Look with me in verse 6. Verse 6, he says this. Remember this. Now we're back in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It is willingly giving. Not because, we, oh, pastor said i got to give 10%, plus I need to give some more, so here, here's to the church. no. That's not how we should be. That's the way I was with my caramel apple with my wife. No, I should be saying, here, here, baby, you want my car? Here, here's my caramel apple. I'll go get you a whole six more if you want. You want six more? I'll get you six more. That's the way I should have been. That's the way we should be. And listen, you'll never see your pastor get up here and try to manipulate you in an offering trying to get you to give to the church. Why? Because we do it. We should give out of gratitude. Not because we feel like we have to or we're made to, because we get to, because we want to, because, man, God, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for forgiving me. God, here, all I have is yours. That's the way we should be. Not, not because we have to. And there's some in here, you're probably, you're getting mad about this sermon. And I already know this happens all the time. Matter of fact, when I preached at my dad's church, uh, somebody in the, one of the husbands got mad. And she went home, she said, why, why are you mad about this? He said, I don't know, it just, just makes me mad. What did he say? just makes me mad. She said, well, did he say anything that wasn't in the Bible? He said, no. I'm just mad. She said, well, maybe it's you. A couple of days later, God spoke to him, convicted him. They ended up, he said, I was wrong. He started tithing over and above. God, and that week that he did it, God gave him a bonus. And what else did he give? A bonus and a raise. The very week that he gave over and above. And he'd been missing out on this the whole time. If he'd have been doing this a long time ago, he could have had that way before. 
But some of you are getting mad about this. And I hear people say all the time, they quote the Bible wrong. Say, well, you know, just money. Money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. You ever heard people say that? No, it's not. That's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Right here. For the what? Love of money is the root of all evil. It's, it's not money that's evil. It's the love of money or the worship of money. Because I'm going to tell you something. Money can be used for good or evil. You give me some money, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to see some people saved. That's what we're going to do with it. Money can be used for good. You give your church money, they can send out more missionaries all over the world. It can be used for good. See? So it's not money itself. It's the love or the worship of money that is the issue. And I'm just going to tell you, you say, why, why should you preach on money? Because you know what? Money is a perfect indicator of where your heart is. There's a lot of you in here that are calling yourselves Christians, and you're really not. So how can you say that? Well, because here's what Jesus said. Or, or not, I'm sorry. Yeah, here's what he said in verse Luke chapter 12, verse 34. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you understand your checkbook reveals your heart? It reveals whether you're greedy or whether you're selfish, what it's all about you. I'm going to tell you something. It reveals your heart and your condition. And I can sit there and look at your checkbook, and a lot of you, I can tell whether you're saved or not just by looking at your checkbook. And you don't like it? I'm just telling you the truth. Because that's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said. And if it's all about money for you and you're getting an attitude, it's a good indication where your heart is. And, and I'm just going to do a little side note. I hope this is okay with Pastor. Uh, this is to the pastors of the church. A uh, little side note for you, okay? And y'all can listen to this. But pastors, I want you to know something. The person in your church that barks the loudest about money is usually the one that doesn't tithe. I'm just telling you, from experience, that's what I've seen. The ones barking the loudest about how you're spending it, where it's going, all this kind of stuff. All right, I say, okay, hey, give me your tithing records. Let's see where you stand right now. They would shut up instantly. And I don't know what your policy is here at your church, but as staff, you need to find out where people give. And I know y'all probably don't do that, and so you might want to get your secretary to check it out or something like that. But there is a church here in Texas have a hundred deacons, a hundred. They're going to go into a building program. So the pastor said, hey, would you uh, check the giving records of all of our deacons? Out of a hundred deacons in a Baptist church here in Texas, 50 of them weren't given. I'm talking about not, not giving a dime, not tithing. And you say, well, you, you shouldn't need to know what our giving records are. You, no, no. If somebody is in leadership in this church, the staff needs to know whether you give or not. And you may tell you why? Not so they can hound you and say, oh, you're not giving. No, you may tell you why? Because here's the deal. If you're in leadership in this church and you're not tithing, you know what that means? That means you don't trust God with your money. So if you don't trust God with the money that's in your, in your banking account, why in the world should we put you in leadership position and trust, have you trust, with, with, take care of God's money in this church? No, you need to fire them. Need to take them out. You, you have no place taking care of finances in this church if you don't tithe and give over and above. I'm just telling you. That's what the Word says. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Well, look what uh, Luke 12, 15 said. Jesus said to him, he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. It's not about your stuff. It's not about how much stuff you have, you get. And some of you are blaming God because you're in financial strain, because you went out and bought too much stuff and got all this credit on stuff, and you, you can't pay for it. You say, well, Ronnie, I can't tithe. Well, some of you, it's because you put yourself in a financial situation you, that you think you can't. So here's what you need to do. Sell some stuff. 
You got payments out the wazoo that you don't need to sell cars, sell whatever. You, you don't need to put yourself in that situation. It's not about stuff. It's about him. Generous giving also is not only over and above your tithe. It is not only a heart thing. Generous giving is extravagant. Verse 6. Do you see what he said? Verse 6, he says, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's extravagant. You, you want me to show you some examples of extravagant giving in the Bible? Uh, king David. King David, when, when he was king, he gave money to build the temple. Do you know how much money, if we had in today's time, today's money, how much money that he gave to build the temple? In today's money, it would be $21 billion. Not million, billion dollars to build God's house. That's extravagant. You want to hear another extravagant gift? How about his son? His son, King Solomon. Do you know when Solomon became king, it was required by law that the, the king would sacrifice one bull to God for becoming king. King Solomon didn't sacrifice one bull. He didn't sacrifice ten, which would have been extravagant. He didn't sacrifice a hundred, which would have been huge. He sacrificed one thousand bulls to God. Do you know what God did as a result of that? God came to King Solomon that night in a dream. And he said, Solomon, whatever you want, I will give you. What did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. And so what did God do? God said, Solomon, because you didn't ask for money, you didn't ask for stuff. He said, because of that, I'm going to give you, uh, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you honor. I'm going to give you, where people know you all over the world, I'm going to give you wealth. And here's the deal, Solomon. Now, if you obey me and you follow me, I'm going to give you a long life. It all started when he sacrificed over and above, when he gave a thousand bulls. You say, Ronnie, I don't have money like that. I'm not a millionaire. I don't have all that kind of money. What, what are you talking about? I'm struggling from paycheck to paycheck. Okay, you want to talk about extravagant? Uh, do you remember when Jesus was with his disciples and they were at church? And Jesus was watching people give. That's a whole other sermon right there. I mean, we could camp out on that one for a while. I find it interesting that Jesus is watching people give. And so there's some people come by flashing their money. You know, the big Pharisees said she's letting everybody know how much money they were dropping in the plate. A widow comes by, drops in two mites. You know what that is? It's like a couple of pennies. Drops in there. You know what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, that lady right there, she gave more money than anybody here. She gave all she had. Wow. Extravagant. Now, you may tell you the most extravagant gift in the entire Bible. It was not King David. It was not the widow's might. It was found in John chapter 3, verse 16, when Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the most extravagant gift ever given. And folks, I cannot imagine what God went through. I, I don't want to give up my son for any of you. I'm sorry, deal with it. You wouldn't do it for me either. Matter of fact, I wouldn't do it for the whole bunch of you. Y'all would just all die. But that's, that shows God's incredible love for us that he gave his son to die on a cross, be, I mean, cruelly punished and tortured for my sin and for your sin. God gave his son. Why? Not just flip it, just to do it. Not because he didn't love his son. He did it so your sins and my sins could be forgiven and we could have a right relationship with him. Man. Talk about giver. 
God is good. You say, okay, Ronnie, I understand that, but how can I make it? I, I can't make it right now. I'm not surviving right now. How am I going to make it? All right, well, first of all, you need to know that God is your source for everything. Look with me in verse 8. Verse 8, he says this, And God is able. We could stop right there. That's enough. That's all we need to say. God is able. But, but I got that. But God is able. But I got God is able. But, but God is able. Verse 8, To bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You say, Ronnie, God didn't do nothing. I did it. I climbed that social ladder. Or I built this, this company, my company. I built it with my two hands from the ground up. Ron, no, I went and got my education. I worked hard. I got my education. I deserve it. I, that's why I got that job, because I was the most qualified. No, you didn't. God gave that to you. You did not build that company. You did not build it from the ground up. God did it. Oh, you don't believe me? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18 says, You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Verse 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms it in His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. God is your source. Not your boss, not your spouse, not the government. God is your source. He's the one that did it. He's the provider of everything. The Bible says in Psalms 24, 1, the earth is whose? The Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it, God owns everything. And all we are is we're just stewards of what he's given us. That's it. And I'm going to tell you something. Until you get that, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable unless you understand God's the one that does it. You say, okay, Ronnie, then why do I need to do it? Why do I need to be a generous giver? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12 says this. Paul, will remember, he's still speaking to the church at Corinth about the church at Jerusalem. He says, this service that you perform, it's not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people. Did you hear that? So first of all, this generous giving that you do, it supplies the needs to God's people. So that church in Jerusalem that was hurting, they struggling for food and clothing, this was providing for their needs. When you give, it provides for the needs of God's people. That's the first thing. But the second thing it does, he goes on and says, but it also is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have provided yourselves, others will praise God. Did you hear that? When we give generously over and above, it supplies God's people with their needs, takes care of their needs, but it also, people will thank God and praise God because of your gift. So God will get the glory for what you're doing. When you're giving this money and helping people here and there and stuff, it's not for your glory. It's not so your name can be put on a building. It's for God's glory. That's what it's for. It's for, other, it's for him to get the glory for what you're doing and how he's using it because he's the one that gave you the money anyway. And so all we're doing is we're just funneling this. We're channeling it for God's glory. That's the whole purpose for this. He says this. He goes on and says, not only will others praise God, but for the obedience. Now, you've got to catch this. For the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Did you hear that? The gift, the money that they were given, the church at Corinth, was given to the church at Jerusalem. The gift was accompanied with the gospel of Christ. Okay, you need to connect the dots because here's the deal. Any money that we have, anything that we do, the gospel always has to accompany the gift. For example, we go to Nicaragua 
on a yearly basis overseas telling people about Jesus. We've been to Africa and all, all kinds of places, Brazil and blah, blah, blah. Every time we go, we go to tell people about Jesus. I do not go to Nicaragua to paint schools. I do not go to Nicaragua to paint churches. Think about this. It costs for my team to go to Nicaragua. Each individual, it costs them about, I think they went up $100 this year. $1,900. Airfare, food, expenses, hotels, translators, a crusade at night, all that stuff that we do. Can you imagine me asking one person on our team to raise $1,900 to go to Nicaragua and paint a church building when there are families in Nicaragua they work the entire year. I'm talking mom, dad, all the kids working all year long. They might make $500 to $800 for the entire year. I could tell that one person on my team, stay home, give me the $1,900. I can go over to Nicaragua, hire three families that need a job to paint a church building. And while they're doing it, I can tell them about Jesus. No, when my dad went with our, our church, they went to uh, Nicaragua a couple of months ago, took a dentist team to do teeth. Every person that sat in that chair heard the gospel of Christ. Listen, anybody can go paint a church building. Lost people can go paint a school. Only believers can go tell people about Jesus. See, the Mormons can go paint a school. Jehovah Witnesses can go paint a church building, clean up a neighborhood. Only we as believers that have the truth can go tell people about Jesus. If we have money, it's so the world will know of Jesus. You say, back it up, go to Psalms. We're not done. Psalms chapter 67, verse 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Why? Why should he do that? Verse 2, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Folks, we have money. Great Hills Baptist Church has money so that the nations may know of Jesus. That's why. And we are rich. We are rich. You say, no, I'm broke. I just got a car and I'm just made, it's broke down making payments. Hey, Nicaragua, they walk. You're wealthy. We have money so the nations will know of Jesus. Not so we can have better uh, accommodations here in the church. So we can go, you know, feel better and have this little thing. There's nothing wrong with stuff to communicate the gospel, but it's not so we can get fat and sassy. We've got money so the world will know about Jesus. That's why. You say, okay, Ronnie, so how, how am I supposed to do this? What am I supposed to do? Okay. Because so, some of you are sitting there, Ronnie, I'm broke now. I, I can't do this. I, I'm broke. Hey, let me tell you something. Look, just real quick. If you don't hear anything else I said today, you remember this right here. For those of you that are sitting there saying, I can't tithe right now and I can't give over and above because I'm broke. Guess what? You are always going to be broke then. You understand? If you're, saying, if you're using it as an excuse because you're broke, you can't give, you can't tithe, I'm telling you right now, you are always going to be broke. I don't care what the government does for you. You're going to be broke. You say, how can you say that? Because what did Jesus say? If you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. If you're not faithful in little, you will not be faithful in much. So just because, if you're not tithing right now, don't you say and use the excuse, well, if I win a lottery, then I'm going to start tithing. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to handle to give that much money away. You wouldn't be able to handle it until you go, man, that, that's a lot of money to be given away. I can't do that. I can't tie that much. No, that would be your deal. So you're not faithful now. You're not going to be faithful later. You say, how do I give? Okay, well, here, James chapter uh, 1, verse 22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
You say, how am I supposed to do it? Well, here's what's going to happen. In just a minute, we're going to have an offering. And when we do have an offering, there's going to be guys come down, they're going to pass offering plates. That's one way you can give. And some of you are sitting there saying, well, you know, I, I wasn't ready, so I can't do it today. Hey, guess what? I, some of you think you can only give when you're at church. And you don't think you're supposed to give when you're on vacation. To, to show, show me it in your Bible. Show me where it says that. Because I'd like to know. Because you know what? I'm at my home church maybe 10 times a, a year because I'm on the road preaching 42 weeks a year. So if I operated like you did, then I would only give like 10 weeks a year. But, but guess what? I'm here with you this week. And guess what I did? Before I left my house, I wrote a check to my church, stuck it in the mail, mailed it. My church gets my tithe and over and above whether I'm there or not. And so, because it's not based on whether, oh, well, I felt good today, so I'm going to give some money today. Oh, I didn't, feel, I didn't like that sermon, so I'm not going to give anything. No, it's not based on who's preaching. It's not based on what the message is. It's based on what God's Word says. That's what it's supposed to be based on. And not because you were manipulated or coerced to do it, because you are gratefully out of gratitude saying, God, thank you. I'm giving back what's already yours anyway. That's the way it is. And you say, some of you are going, but Ronnie, I don't, I don't have money on me. It's a, lot of, a lot of you are like me. I don't hardly carry any cash on me or, or, or checkbook or anything like that. A lot of young couples today operate everything online and stuff like that. So here's what you can do. you got a smartphone. You can whip that smartphone out. And I don't have it. Honey, would you give me my smartphone, please? Go to, is it ghbc.org? You can get on your smartphone and go to ghbc.org. Top right corner. And I checked this out on my iPhone before I got up here. Top right corner. There's a little, it's hard to see. You need to make that thing bigger. Um, there's a little word over on the top right in the green section that says give. Click on that. You can give and you can start tithing. Matter of fact, you can do it on a weekly basis where, or, or monthly or biweekly, however you get paid. And you can pay your tithe. You can pay over and above your tithe every week or once a month, however you do that. Right out of your checkbook, boom, right off the phone. Boom, there it is. And so whether you're on a vacation or not, it's done. It's there. He said, Ronnie, I, I, I want to participate today. I, I don't have the money on me. All right, here's what I, I want to do for you. Y'all ready for this? In just a minute, when we do take the offering, there's offering envelopes, are there not? Yeah, McDonald, you got one? Okay, see that offering envelope right there? Here's what you can do. If you don't have any money on you today, but you know God spoke to you, and you want to obey God, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You take that envelope, you write your name, address, because you get credit, tax credit, all that stuff. But you write your name stuff on there, write the amount, and put, I owe you, Lord, this amount. And then when you get home, you sit down and you write that check out, and you stick it in the mail and you mail it to the church. And you can participate in obeying God today. And I know what a bunch of naysayers are sitting out there thinking. Thinking, man, this church must be hurting financially bad. They bring this guy in, he's talking about money, and trying to get IOUs and pledges and stuff. Hey, no, it's not about that. Do you understand this church is staying afloat whether you give or not? This is for you. This is for your obedience to obey God and participate in what he's speaking to you about today. I'm going to tell you another way you can give. Now, and th There's just multiple ways you can do this. But one of my board members, his name is David Plyler, his dad passed away uh, about 10 years ago now. And it was right after I met David, so I didn't have a chance and the honor and privilege of meeting his dad. But his dad was a contractor, built, builds schools, church buildings, all kinds of stuff, very wealthy. He got saved later on in life at a crusade at a football field in uh, Sherman, Texas. And he got on fire for the Lord. He started going on mission trips, giving Bibles, tracts, all that kind of stuff. When he died, he had set up, he had the, the wisdom to set up a board of directors. And he had placed a large sum of money in his bank account where it earns interest. And so every year, that board would decide what they're going to do, uh, the ministry needs to give specifically for evangelism, to tell people about Jesus. When David told me about that, I was like, man, that, that, that inspired me. So I, I, I want to do that. But, but, Lord, I'm not wealthy. Some of y'all are thinking the same thing when you're thinking about King David and King Solomon. I'm not, I'm not a millionaire. I don't have money like that. So here's what I did. 
I went out and got an, another life insurance policy on me. Now, I've got one already for my wife and my son when I die for them to be taken care of. But I took out another one on my life for the ministry. It cost me $400 a year. That's all it cost. Guess what? When I die, the ministry is going to get $500,000 to continue telling people about Jesus, and I won't even be around. I'm not wealthy. I'm poor. But I'm going to tell you something. 400 bucks a year to make a 500, a half a million dollar impact for the kingdom of God to tell people about Jesus all over the world. Why are we doing that? Why are more people doing that? No, to make an impact for the kingdom. You know, let me tell you what else you can do. Some of you, whether you're on fi fixed incomes or whatever, you know what you do? When you leave this place, there are going to be people going to eat all over the place. We're going to go eat at a good place. Pastor told me. He said, it's my, one of my favorite restaurants. So we're going to go eat. You know what you can do? Great Hills Baptist Church, when you sit down to eat at a restaurant, this is what a lot of people in our church do. We'll have the waiter come over and say, hey, see that family of four sitting over there? Bring me their bill. Don't tell them about it. Just put it on this, that, hey, High Ridge Church, we love them, and Jesus does too. And send that to them. Don't even tell them who did it. Just say, hey, Great Hills Baptist Church, we love you. Come see us. Jesus loves you. Pay their bill. Done. You can be at a drive-thru. Pay, hey, say, dude, hey, the car behind me, uh, what'd they owe? Here, I'm paying it. Give them this car from Great Hills Baptist Church. Tell them Jesus loves them. Do you realize the impact that you can make for the kingdom of God when we start thinking like that and start being generous givers? We need to do that. Some of you are sitting there thinking, man, you are crazy. What, what are you people doing? Hey, do you know what? This whole deal, some of you that don't go to church and stuff, maybe you haven't ever been before, I want you to know, we do this because God loves you. And we love you. And, and God showed the greatest gift when he gave his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. And I want you to know this morning that God cares about you. You say, man, nobody cares about me. You don't know what my Christmas was like. You don't know what my New Year's was like. Hey, man, I don't. I don't know what happened to you. But I do know this. The very reason that you're alive today in this building right now is because God desires a relationship with you. That's what this whole thing's all about. And that God wants to change your life forever. He wants, but see, right now, you're separated from God. And the reason you're separated from God is because your sin and my sin. But you know what? God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. They beat him. They killed him on a cross for your sins and my sins. And then he died. He was buried in a grave. Three days later, he rose. And because of that, I can tell you guaranteed, you can have peace, purpose, and meaning. Because I'm not talking about some dead famous celebrity. I'm talking about Jesus who is real. He's alive today. He changed my life. I have a real relationship with him and you can too. You say how? If you're willing to repent of your sins this morning. Saying God I have messed up. I have blown it. And we'd be willing to turn from your sins and invite him into your life to be your boss, your Lord and your Savior. He'll change you forever. If you've never done that before you can do it right now. You say how? I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Give me two minutes. That's it, and we're done. Two minutes. I want to ask nobody to get up, nobody to leave, nobody to walk around. We're almost done. And the only reason is I just don't want anybody being distracted. That's the only reason. If you're here this morning, you say, Ryan, that's me. I don't have peace. I don't have purpose. I've been trying to get more stuff and stuff to make fill that void in my life. Hey, I know millionaires that have committed suicide. Money's not going to do it. It's Jesus. And if you want a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to pray. The simple prayer. It's not a magical prayer. I'm not talking about blessing the food. I'm talking about committing your life to him forever. If you've never done that before and you want to, then I'm going to pray and it's going to go something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've blown it. I want to ask you to forgive me my sins. I want to turn from my sins. And I want to invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, and my Savior. If you have never done that before, you've never committed your life to him, and you want to today, then right where you're seated, or if you're at home watching by television, you can invite Jesus to come to your life today, and he'll change you forever. If you don't do me a favor, right now, right where you're seated, if you just uh, bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here this morning, and you want that peace, you want that purpose, you want that meaning, then you pray that prayer with me right where you're seated.
Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I've messed up. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I turn from my sins. And I invite you into my life to be my boss and my Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed and no one's looking around, and I'm going to ask uh, no counselor to move around, no worship team member, no deacon, no offering guy, nobody. Just two minutes. If you're here today and you say, Ronnie, for the first time in my life, I prayed that prayer. I invited Jesus to come to my life. I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. If you're here this morning and say, Ronnie, that's me. Would just those of you that prayed that prayer, would you just look up at me right now and let me catch your eyes? Say, Ron, that's me. I prayed that prayer, and I invited Jesus to come to my life. And it's hard to see in here, so just kind of raise up your hand. I'm going to start on my left, your right, this left section over here. Yes, ma'am, right here. Yes, ma'am, right here. Anybody else in this? My left, that would be your right section. Anybody else? And if I can't see, just kind of wave your hand because the lights, it's hard to see. Yes, sir. Anybody else in this section over here or in the back? Or what about this next section right here? To my left, your right. Anybody right over here? Yes, I got you in the back. All right. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else in this section over here? Yes, ma'am, in the far back. Anybody else through here? Got you, buddy, right there. Got you, buddy. Uh-huh. Anyone else right through here? Yes, ma'am, right here. Anybody else in this section? Got you, buddy, right here. Anybody else through here? Yes, sir. Over in this section. What about in the middle, straight in front of me? Anybody, you pray that prayer right here in the middle. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, right here. Anyone else through here? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Got you in the back. Anyone else through here? In the center section, right in front of me. Got you in, yes, ma'am, in the far back. Got you in the far back, buddy. All right. Anyone else? What about this section over here to my right, your left? Anybody in this section right here? Yes, ma'am. Anyone else right through here? Just look up at me. If I can't see, kind of wave at me. Anybody else through here? In the back? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What about the far right? That'd be your far left section. Anybody over here? You say, Ryan, that's me. I prayed that prayer. Yes, ma'am, in the far back. Got you, got you, sweetie, in the far back as well. Anyone else? All right, would just those of you that prayed that prayer, would you just keep looking up at me just for a second? I'm not going to come to you or anything like that. I just want to share with you from what the Word of God says. Whether you have a Catholic Bible or a Protestant Bible, what I'm preaching, what I'm talking about and quoting is in your Bible. So everybody that prayed that prayer, just keep looking up at me. I want you to know this. According to what the Bible says, all of you that prayed and invited Jesus to come to your life, He saved you and He changed your life today. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And that's what you just did. You just confessed to God. Said, God, would you please save me? Would you change my life? And that's what he said. That's what he promised he'll do. Now, let me also let you know this. Now that you've invited Jesus to come to your life, you become a follower of Christ. You say, well, what does that mean? You're a Christ follower. You're a Christian now. And you say, well, okay, what am I supposed to do? Well, Jesus said we're not to be ashamed of him. In your Bible, whether it's a Catholic Bible or Protestant Bible, in Matthew 10, 32, and 33, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. He says, if you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father who's in heaven. It's imperative we take a stand for him. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? Here's your first opportunity. Everybody that prayed that prayer, just keep looking up at me. I'm going to show you what we're going to do. In just a minute, we're going to stand. When we stand, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, worship team is going to lead us in singing. Matter of fact, worship team, y'all go ahead and come on up and band. When we stand, I pray, I say amen. Worship team is going to sing. There are going to be pastors standing down here. Matter of fact, pastors, would y'all go ahead and come on up? They're going to be standing in the aisles here and here and here and over here. 
And all of you that prayed that prayer and invited Jesus to come to your life, you come to one of these men of God down here. All you have to say to them is, hey, pastor, I prayed that prayer for Ronnie. All we're going to do is we're going to introduce you to an encourager, a counselor. They're going to take you right out the side. They're going to pray with you. They're going to give you some material. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, you let us know. We want to give you a Bible because you started a spiritual journey with God today, and we want to help you grow and get to know God in that journey. Okay? So those of you that are our counselors, would you look up at me real quick? All of our counselors. When we stand, counselors, how many do I have? Could you just kind of wave your hand? Let me see where y'all are. Okay? Counselors, when we stand... I pray, I say amen, you come and stand on this front row here and there and over there. And then the pastors will introduce you to somebody and they'll take you right to the side, okay? So counselors don't come until I say amen, all right? All right, so can you do me a favor? Can we all please stand now with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heads bowed, eyes closed. All of you that prayed that prayer, there's nothing to be ashamed about. You are to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus and you're not to be ashamed of him. So if you want to ask your mom and dad to come with you, if you want to ask your spouse to come with you, a loved one, a friend, or you can come by yourself. When I say amen, they're going to be singing. You step out and come, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for all these that trusted the Lord and Savior. I pray, God, you give them courage and boldness to take a stand for you today. Bless their obedience, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As they sing. Come on, right now. If you pray that prayer, come on. Guys, right down here.